a number of years ago, I was uh, driving across country with my daughter, Amy, who was coming uh, back to, from uh, her home in the West to go to graduate school in the East. We, as we were driving across, uh, across central Missouri, we encountered one of those Midwestern storms that you read about, the kind that sent Dorothy over the rainbow. The sky was just boiling black and the clouds were just tumbling. It was, it was frightening, it really was frightening. Um, it turned out, and I was looking for a place to hide, for us to hide, it turned out that the storm was moving faster than we were. So before too long, the storm got ahead of us and the sun was coming out behind us. And that gave us the most beautiful rainbow. In fact, not one, but a double rainbow. Have you ever seen a double rainbow? It's just an astonishing sight. And so it, it looked like there were two rainbows and they formed kind of a colonnade that we were uh, gonna drive through. And I, I said to Amy, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? It's as though God has erected these rainbows in the sky in, in order to protect us just the way God promised, uh, God promised Noah that he would protect humanity going forward by the sign of the rainbow is just magnificent. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Dad, get, get real. <laughs> Today we, uh, we begin, uh, we, we end the season of Epiphany uh, with a story of the Transfiguration, which is a story about the disciples, or at least the inner circle of disciples, reality test with Jesus. They, they are brought face to face with the reality of who he is. It doesn't last as we know because Peter later on will deny him. But for a time, they're brought face to face with, with a kind of Jesus, a Jesus they hadn't seen before. The iconography of the scene, the symbolism is pretty obvious. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. Jesus is with Moses and Elijah, which is to say the law and the prophets. Uh, God is always in the cloud, especially when the cloud obscures the top of the mountain. Um, so God is present in this, uh, in this scene and God speaks out of the cloud to say, this is my son, the chosen, listen to him. And that of course is a, is a reflection back on the baptism in which God speaks uh, uh, out of the through, a, through a, a sign of a dove, God speaks uh, to the crowd or to Jesus, depending on which version, to say, you are my son, the beloved. In this case, listen to him. Several uh, years ago, I, I was at coffee hour in a church uh, that I was serving in Silver Spring, and uh, someone, coffee hour, that's... Um, a, a, a social time in, in many Episcopal churches. It's actually the, the, um, the secret weapon of many Episcopal churches. People gather and meet one another and meet people they hadn't met before. So anyway, I was at coffee hour and someone came up to me and said, uh, so what, what does it mean to say Jesus is the Son of God? Can't be about the DNA. Well, that began a... Um, six-week midsummer session, a conversation about who is this Jesus? What does it mean to say Jesus is the Son of God? The early church 
struggled to describe Jesus. They found lots of ways to talk about him, lots of ways. He was the son of God, he was the son of David, he was the son of man, he was the son of Abraham. He was the good shepherd, he was the, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God. He was the savior, he was the prophet, he was the good teacher, he was the great high priest, and of course he was the Messiah. Lots of ways to try to describe that the community used to try to describe Jesus. Who was he? And I think more importantly, what, does he, what did he mean to them? Constantine called the Council of Nicaea. Just to answer that question, who is Jesus? And in a few minutes, we will recite the creed that, that was the result of that, uh, of that council. It actually took 60 years, I guess, to resolve what should be in the creed. Uh, and the debate was even more contentious than you sometimes see on Capitol Hill. Uh, the, the winning side having locked out the losing side in that, uh, in that debate. Who is this Jesus? Eternally begotten of the Father? Perhaps it's the case when we say Jesus is the Son of God, we already presume that we know what we mean when we say the word God. But that's a tough one, isn't it? That's a hard one. When we're young, we've got God in the sky somewhere, up in the limitless sky, usually an old man in a long white beard, active in, the, in human affairs. The great uh, French philosopher, theologian Jacques Derrida says, that's the first naivete. And the second naivete, he says, is when we're a little bit older and we develop a healthy skepticism about all of that. We find inconsistencies in scripture, for example, and we say, well, how could it be? How, if Adam and Eve only had sons, where did they get wives? How could it be? And that second naivete fades somewhere later in life when maybe we're looking at the same starry sky or maybe uh, into, uh, into the eyes of a newborn baby or perhaps lamenting the death of someone we love and we begin again to wonder. We begin again to think, to, to, to speak of God and to wonder what it means to be human and alive, what it means to us and what is God in that for us. So many millions of efforts have been made to describe God. Libraries are filled, my libraries, filled with books all trying to describe God. For, for um, uh, Moses, God spoke out of the burning book and, uh, bush and said in Hebrew, I am. Or because of the way Hebrew grammar works, he said, I will be. For James Cone, God is black. For Vine Deloria, God is red. For Rosemary Ruther, God is mother. For uh, Landon Gilkey or, or John Cobb, uh, process theologians, God is sheer potentiality. 
Writing 100 years ago, the theologian Rudolf Otto described God as mysterium tremendum et fasciens, a mystery that is fascinating and unapproachable. Last, uh, last spring, Phoebe, my wife and I were in uh, Belgium and we had to get uh, from Bruges to the airport in Brussels and so we did the American thing, we got an Uber driver and the, uh, it was a long trip because it was rush hour and, and so we fell into conversation. He was a really interesting guy. We had a wonderful time with him. Um, and somewhere midway along the way, he asked us what, what, about our vocation. What did we do? And so we told him and his instant reaction was, well, I don't, I don't believe in God. And so Phoebe, who uh, always has the ready answer, said, um, well, maybe, we don't believe in the God you don't believe in either. <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit more about, them, about the God he didn't believe in and the gods that we didn't believe in. And um, eventually he said, uh, well, if there is a God, it must be the way Einstein put it, that God is the most profound wisdom and the most subtle beauty beyond all human imagining. I have no idea if Einstein said that, but an Uber driver in Belgium did and I wrote it down. <laughs> I think it's pretty good for somebody who doesn't believe in God. The most profound wisdom, I would add the most profound creative wisdom perhaps, and the most subtle, subtle beauty. The truth of it is we really have a hard time putting our arms around the nature of God. What is, what is God? It's hard for us because God is mystery. God is remote. God is something other than we experience at all in our human lives. And that, of course, is why we need Jesus so much. God is revealed to us in lots of ways, for some in nature, certainly in scripture, but nowhere is God's revelation more complete than in Jesus. We call him the son of God because, as it says in the the epistle to the Colossians, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We call him the Son of God because, as it says in the epistle to the Hebrews, he is the exact imprint of God's very being. So if we want to understand God, we have to begin by understanding Jesus. If we want this Lent to matter, we have to take that on. We have to get real about Jesus. Because in him, the fullness of God dwells. And if we want to get real about Jesus, we have to begin by listening to him.
listen to him. If we want an insight into the wisdom about how we should lead our lives, listen to him. If we want some indication, some insight into what it means to be human and alive, listen to him. If we want this Lent to be real, listen to him. Amen.